Irashaimase. Hello and welcome back to Historical Fantasy with Guinevere Lee. I'm Noel Sayar. Today, as promised, we are finally going to be talking about the late, great Date Masamune. Yeah. Date Masamune is kind of like the local hero in Sendai. Oh, yeah, definitely it is. I mean, other than the fact that he founded Sendai, well, I mean, he made Sendai what it is today. Sendai, as I think we mentioned before, it it did exist as a small city, and then he came in and made it like a... But I said I understand it was like a fishing village before. Yeah, yeah. It, was it was super tiny, and then he he really liked it for the uh, strategic advantage yeah. of the river and the mountain. I think we've already talked about all of this stuff. Anyway, he made Sendai what it is today. He made Tohoku what it is today. Tohoku mm-hmm. being the entire northeastern yeah. area of Japan. So he's very, very popular and well-loved in the north, which is where we live. And in general, it was like uh, famous in the history because have like a main role during the unification. Yeah. So it's like uh, she become like uh, one of the more powerful like uh, daimyo in, in his time. Yeah, so we're going to give you an overview of Date Masamune's life and share some of the more interesting stories we've found about him. So yeah, Date Masamune, he was born in 1567, mm-hmm. and his father was Terumune, the previous Date lord. Well, I mean, he was still the Date lord at the time of his birth, I guess. Yes. <laughs> Just the Date lord before Masamune became the lord. Uh, when he was born, his name was Bontenmaru, this is very common for Japanese nobles. They would have their birth name, and then when they became of age, or if they became monks, or they took well, a, Yeah, basically, when they become an adult... Yeah, they would take a, a new name hmm. to sort of, like, represent their transformation. I don't think this happened for women. It was just a guy mm, thing, I think. Maybe, like, the, like the, um, the, the, the samurai... The, like, the woman born in the samurai family happened as well. I maybe. don't know. I mean, and in the moment that baby when they marry, that is when like they like a like a like a pass to the adulthood. Maybe they also change the name. I don't, I, I don't know. I know I I have yet to to hear of like a, a female noble having two names. But I mean, it's not like I've done all the research yeah. that can be done. Anyway, his mother was a woman named Yoshihime, who was actually the daughter of a rival clan, the Mogami. Yep. Their marriage was political, but by all accounts, it was a very loving union. They had Date Masamune, or I guess they had Date <laughs> Bontenmaru. Yeah, Date Bontenmaru. Um, there is a legend about his birth, which is another popular thing with famous samurai at the time. Like Hideyoshi has a legend that his mother dreamed that she swallowed the sun and then she, you know, conceived him. Yoshihime has a dream that a monk comes to her and asks to be let into the womb. <laughs> Basically, he wants to be reincarnated, and so he's, he's asking her for a favor, but he tells her she has to go first ask her husband, because she's not the only one who gets to make this decision. Uh, Terumune is super excited that his son is going to be a reincarnation of a famous monk. You know, it's... An honor? Yeah, it's an honor, but it's also kind of showing like, ooh, look how fam- like look how good my family is. We get the reincarnation yeah. of a famous monk. It's prestigious. Yes, him. it's yes. very prestigious. So he's super psyched about it and, you know, 
gives his wife the go-ahead. <laughs> well, and also, like, uh, reinforce the legitimacy for, like, the son for yeah. become the, the ruler in the future. Yes, exactly. I mean, that's probably when the story came about. Yeah. It's when he was in his older years and he was trying to prove that he was more legitimate. Anyway, it's a fun little story. <laughs> it's his only son. Yeah, I mean, like, a, a, a less biological, like, sons. Yeah. Yes, it is like a... The, the yeah, so, one. you know, all of his ministers are pushing him to take a concubine because they want him to have more children. Things get even more precarious when Bontenmaru, Masamune, yeah. is about five years old. He gets smallpox. Uh, he survives the disease, but it takes his right eye. This is where we get into another legend about Date Masamune, because famously, he lost, like physically lost, the right eye. After. Yeah, like the able for itself. Yeah, but they don't really know how he lost his eye. Some legends say that Date Masamune did it himself, digging his eye out with a knife. Other people says that he asked his... You know. Somebody else. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it is. It is any legend that say that lost in the battle because this is the is the for me for me the classic. Yeah. When I first heard about Date Masamune only having one eye, I assumed that it was a battle wound. Yeah. And that kind of made it sa- like made him seem a little cooler. And then I found out it was just like a childhood disease, and then he probably took the eye out due to convenience. <laughs> I don't really yeah. Know. I mean, like for. I mean, for, for health. Yeah, for say. health reasons. Yes. <laughs> the popular story is that one of his servants told him it would be a disadvantage in battle because his enemy would be able to grab his eye. I don't really understand this argument. I think... If they're able to grab his eyes, they can kill you <laughs> before. I don't know if it's because it's the blind spot on his right side or because... There was like scar tissue over it from the smallpox, and so it was kind of like a, a lumpy, gross thing. But anyway, but that's the story: is that it was because it would be a disadvantage in battle that he plucked it out. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> There's so many of these legends that you never really know <laughs> what's true. Yeah, so eventually, Teramune does get another son. Yeah, like. Kujiro. But it is not his biological son. No, because um, him and his wife aren't able to conceive any more children. Um, and I guess And he refused to take yeah, a concubine. Because he loved his wife. Which, you know, good on you. Date Masamune, on the other hand. <laughs> he have a lot of children. So many concubines. Anyway, his dad was a good dude. <laughs> um, but he does adopt a second son. Kojiro. Well, that also must to say that this is very common in like a like oh, a yeah. novel family in that time. I care like a, a lot of like a children's by adoptions. Oh, for sure. Even you have a, a, like a lot of like a bio- biological ones. Yeah. They used to have that. It's also kind of like a, sometimes it's a political things. Mm-hmm. They just like a take like a one sons of the rebels and they like a grow up as a jurors. Well, yeah. I You know, in you know medieval Europe, those were the hostages. I guess in Japanese yeah. culture, they just treated them a little better. I, I think in that time, they really integrate in the family and oh, they just sure. become like a, like a day sons forever. Yeah. There's also a common practice that if a lord only had daughters, 
that, he, like, you know, if any men married the daughters, they would basically adopt that man, yeah. give him the last name, and then he would be, like... Yeah, he, he become his son in, in yeah. practice. So, yeah, adopting was totally cool in the Japanese idol era. Anyway. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, this causes a bit of trouble because that uh, Masamune's mother, Yoshihime, you would think that she would, at this point, hate Kojiro and tr- try to, like, push her son up as the lord, but the exact opposite happens. Because she's so desperate to keep her son by her side and protect him and coddle him that she... Because he thinks that because he lost his eyes, he's, you know, yeah. it's like the poor thing. Yeah, like a... he has a disadvantage, so she wants to take care of him for the rest of his life. And so she wants this new son, Kojiro, to become the lord. Like, uh, the, the thing that, like, I, I have read is after Masamune become, like, the lord, because the father resigned when, like, um, Masamune half 18. Yeah. So he become, like, uh, the lord of the clan, even, like, the father is still living. And, in fact, he started to make, like, uh, war campaigns uh, uh, for the clans around, like, uh, his territory for expand his domain. In fact, it was... Like in the early years, he was like a like a very warmonger, and like the history say that like uh, Kojiro tried to poison like Masamune. Mm. It is the kind of things like you don't know exactly it is true or it is like an excuse, but the point. But is that's that the story that Date Masamune was telling. I exactly, guess. <laughs> but like Masamune execute Kojiro oh, for okay. that. Yeah. And like the mother, like a runaway, and just like a return with like like her former family in right. that in that moment. Somehow, like the mother was like, found guilty as well for the conspiracy because she had been supporting Kojiro's claim. Yeah, so I guess that she was a fair that also she was executed, so she ran away and like take refuge with yeah. like the Megumi clan. But despite all of this, actually, Masamune and his mother had a pretty good relationship throughout the rest of his life. I've actually found letters that they would write each other. Yeah. So it seems like even though... (laughs) (laughs) Even they tried to kill you. (laughs) She never tried to kill him. She just didn't want him to become the Lord. Despite that fact, I guess it was so obvious that she loved him and he loved her that... Or maybe it was just, you know, Japanese culture. You have to remain civil with your parents. Yeah, I, I don't know. It is In addition, well, you know, in this, like, uh, ancient histories try to, like, uh, know which part is a legend or exaggeration and which part is, like, the real fact, you know? Yeah, exactly. I mean, that's kind of the fun part about all of this is that the mythology is so wrapped up in the history that... Yeah. There is, there's really no difference at this. And especially because, like, uh, they are like the history that, like, uh, confirm the laws. They used to always put a kind of like a layer of like um, epithets in everything, you know, because they should not be shown as a, like a, as the plebe. They always would have like a amazing history, like a betrays, like a wars. Like conspiracies and probably like the the realities they live, they are quite boring and quite like more like the yeah. rest of the people. Pretty pretty 
mundane. So they used to try to exaggerate a lot of these things. So it is why sometimes do you take all of this information with careful. Yeah. <laughs> take it with a grain of salt. Terumune, Masamune's father, mm-hmm. as you said, he retired. Yep. Um, which... I think we've mentioned before, that was pretty common with emperors and other people of power. You and didn't hold it on. You didn't hold on to it until your last breath. You you wanted to enjoy the last few years of your life, so you'd retire. And in this case, like, um, Masamune show, like, a, that was a really competent, like, a daimyo from the very beginning. In fact, like, a, he won his first battle with 14 yeah. as a commander. So basically, it's like uh, in the time of half 18, he just was really prepared like, uh, for being a ruler. Oh, yeah. So like uh, the father just make uh, one step aside. and okay. yeah. Unfortunately, his father did not get to enjoy his retirement. No, for too long. No. So basically what happened is one of the rivals, the leader of the Hatakayama clan, he comes under the pretense of making peace with the Date clan. So him and Terumune have dinner together, and it's very civil. And then the next morning, the leader of the Hatakayama clan, mm-hmm. Yoshitsugu, he shows up to say thank you. <laughs> Apparently to say thank you. But instead, he kidnaps Terumune at sword point, which is just insane for the time. I mean, yeah. you know, it's not great to kidnap people at all, but to kidnap... <laughs> A former lord of a very powerful clan is just madness. He kidnaps him and they escape. Masamune and his samurai, they hear about it pretty quickly, so they chase him. And they reach a river and his father yells at Masamune to open fire, like, don't worry about me, just kill these bastards. But Masamune hesitates and then Yoshitsugu kills his father and escapes. The history that I hear was like the opposite. Really? I I hear like uh, the the like uh, the um, the Masamune troops like attack, and like uh, the father died during the battle. Oh, interesting. So I guess uh, depending on which clan you ask, <laughs> maybe. <laughs> In fact, like I hear that like the intention was not kidnap him. They tried to convince like a Terumune. Not to convince the like uh, the son for stop the battles, okay. and then Tarumune say that he's not longer like controlling his daughter, son, mm-hmm. so he can do nothing. And in that moment, when they see the kidnap of the father as a possibility for blackmail, like uh, blackmail him to stop the battles, basically. My feeling was that it. Yeah, he didn't go there planning to kidnap him, but something happened. There was like an argument and like very got very heated and he just sort of took the only opportunity. Yeah, in the moment that they saw that like yeah. Teramuni cannot like help yeah. them. I think he just sort of panicked. Yeah, is what happened. They feel desperate <laughs> and just yeah. like uh, did that. So, basically after he become like um, the daimyo of the of his clan, he start to like uh, serve like a uh, Toyotomi. Happened that like in 1590, like uh, Hideyoshi Toyotomi, that in that moment was like uh, the shogun, called all of the Tohoku lords for like a uh, siege, like uh, one castle of one of his rivals. And happened that like uh, Masamune in the first time refused to go. But he know that he like uh, 
must to like go because like uh, Toyotomi was like uh, the um, the shogun. So he he went, but he arrived late. Yes, and but he arrived late on purpose. Yes, they they don't say exactly. For, for any Game of Thrones fans out there, the Date clan is basically the Lannisters. <laughs> they well, like to wait to see who's winning before they... Well, in this case, they should be the Frey. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, they're a bit more classier than the Frey. Yeah. <laughs> but the point is, like, uh, he thought that, like, Toyotomi will execute them for, like, attrition. Mm-hmm. So he was summoned to go to Kyoto. So he went... And he went, like, uh, thinking that he will be, like, executed. And so, like, uh, they say that Toyotomi reward his, like, uh, bribery. Bribery? Yeah. With sparing his life. And in fact, like, in the future, like... But he punishes him as well. He takes away a bunch of his lands. And he he reduces his annual income. And it's, it's, you know, it's a big deal. Well, but compared with, like, a be executed... Well, yeah. And, probably, <laughs> and normally they execute, like, a you and all your family. I mean, I think the point is that Hideyoshi couldn't afford to kill Date Masamune at that point because he hadn't... You know, things were still a little unsettled in Japan at that time. You didn't want to make more enemies, especially in Tohoku, which was kind of its own province. So, I mean, I feel like... If he didn't need the Date clan, I think he would have killed him. I'm not sure. I mean, during that time, they kill a lot of lords and just, like, put another family in the position. Yeah, but the Dates were badasses. Well, because we like the Date. I don't know. <laughs> I mean, we they are badasses for all the things that happened before. Yeah. If they was killed in that moment, nobody would remember the name of Date, probably. Ooh, for shame. <laughs> Do you think that in that moment they didn't, like, um, found Sendai yet? No, they didn't even live in Sendai. They no. lived on the the west coast. No, they live in the... Was that? They were, like, th- south of... 20 kilometers north to the actual Sendai. It's okay, but the, so they were they were on the east coast? Yes. Because I thought they were directly south of um, Yamagata. No, they are almost in the same line with Sendai, but 20 kilometers north. Okay. Okay, never mind. It's, uh, I mean, I, I, I looking for it in the in the map is in the actual middle of nowhere. <laughs> Honestly. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, they, the Date clan was very powerful at the time, but they were still one of the smaller clans in Tokyo. He started to grow up in yeah. the region, but not until like a Tokugawa gave the same the domain is when he become mm-hmm. like a the clan of Tohoku. Yeah. But the point is, like, uh, during, like, uh, the Korean campaign, he, like, uh, actively participated in them, and they have, like, a very good result there. But when, like, uh, Toyotomi died during, like, uh, the invasion, like, uh, Tokugawa, like, uh, become, like, uh, the new shogun, mm-hmm. and just cancel all of the Korean invasion, and start, like, uh, the campaign for unificate, like, uh, yeah. 
Japan. Which should have been the, the plan all along. Hideyoshi, yes. I mean, other than the fact that it got him killed, yeah. <laughs> it was a big mistake to go to Korea, because it wasn't necessary at that point. And, and in addition, they have, like, a terrible results. Yeah. It was, like, a ruin for the kingdom. Like, yeah. the cost of the campaign was terrible. Look, it's always a bad idea to inf- invade a foreign land, yeah. in my opinion. Because the idea was not conquer, like, a Korea. The, the idea was, like, attack China. Oh, so Korea was just there stopping over. Florida? Yeah, because in that time they don't have like a yeah. like a like a proper fleet. So Korea was. But they like couldn't a, just take the direct flight from Tokyo to Beijing. No, I <laughs> wasn't available in that time. They got really good prices from Japan. <laughs> so then, like, uh, he have like a main role during the Battle of Sekigahara, and then like a Tokugawa reward him with the Sendai Domain. Alright, let's talk about what happened with Date Masamune and the Battle of Sekigahara, because we kind of glossed over that when we discussed the Battle of Sekigahara before, and we just sort of mentioned that he showed up. Mm. But like, well, the point is, like, uh, the main combats used to be, like, in the south and, like, uh, the west of the country. Yeah. Mostly in the West. Right. Tohoku was... W- was not as populated as the rest of the country in that Yeah, and, and Tohoku, I mean, because, you know, travel was so difficult at the time, well, it, yes. was, it was very much cut off from the rest of Japan. So they would get news about what was going on, but they really didn't actively participate in any of what was happening. Yeah, so, and, and the point is, like, uh, after decades of, of, of war, the most of the, like, uh, the daimyos of this area, they are very, like, um, debilitated. Yeah. Like, uh, also, for both manpower and money, they, they are weak. Meanwhile, like, um, the Masamune have, like, uh, the most of his, like, uh, troops intact. So when, like, uh, the main battle, like, uh, Osekiyahara appeared, they come with, like, a fresh reinforcement from the north. And I think they exaggerate a little bit, like, uh, his contribution. Yeah, I think in, in Tohoku he's known as, you know, the guy who changed the tide of the battle of Sekigahara, but... And what's of the main contributor of the battle? Oh, he helped. <laughs> yes, I thought that it's on the number and they have around 20% of the troops. 20 That's a lot. I know, but I mean, the other 80. That's, I'm going to say 20,000. Yes, because I think it's around the 100,000 per, per, per each, yeah. each side of the battle. Oh, okay. So it's around like a... Like uh, twenty thousand will be like uh, the troops of like uh, of of the Date clan. I mean, that's that's pretty good. That, especially because in that moment he was not one of the main lords, have a, a contribution like a higher that it is expected for his position. Yes, I think it is probably he's become like a very well known. But yeah, I think the Battle of Sekigahara is definitely when he made his. You know, his big entrance into Japan. That's, yes. That's when he became a famous daimyo. Well, the other thing that he's famous was for... He was one of the biggest supporters of the Christianism. Yeah, this is actually very interesting because it's so completely opposed to all the other stances of daimyos at the time. Yeah. Dazai Masamune was really interested in global trade and different religions, and he wanted to expand, 
you know, Japanese technology. So he wanted to trade with all these other countries mm -hmm. and learn from them. But, <laughs> <laughs> meanwhile... In that moment, they are not, like, uh, very common, the trans, uh, like, uh, transoceanic travels. No. <laughs> Especially from Japan's point of view. No. Even though they were an island nation, they didn't really invest in shipbuilding. In addition, like, in big shipbuildings, the one that they are able to, like, uh, go yeah. to different continents. This is why they had to stop over in Korea before yes. they got to China. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, when the Europeans started showing up in the 16th century with all these massive ships, it really did blow the Japanese people's minds. And I think it inspired Date Masamune, but it also scared people like Tokugawa. Yeah, I mean, some people say that Masamune was cons like conversed to like a Christianism. There's a lot of evidence to support that. But they, they think that it's not really. That they only want to like have contact, like a contact with Europe yeah. and just import technology and import like a knowledge that like... A yeah, I think it was more from an intellectual point of view. I think yes. it, it was curiosity, but it was also, you know, not know your enemy, but... We have to understand these people if we want to work with them. No, and also, like, I want to have, like, adventures in comparison with another lords in Japan. Yeah. So I will take all of the, like, a foreign knowledge in order to be in better position. Mm -hmm. And in fact, in the, um, it is very famous in Sendai that in 1613, like, a Sendai expedition, like, uh, commanded by, like, a Hasekura Tsunegawa. On the Tatemaru? In the Datemaru. Yeah. That was like a, a galleon constructed with like a European technology. Yeah, they, they, you can still visit the Datemaru or the yeah. reconstruction well, of yeah. the Datemaru. The replica. Yeah, in, in Shinomaki. Yeah. And they make a travel like a going from Japan, like via America and Spain and finally Rome yeah. for like a, make an interview with the Pope. What happened that the, the expedition like a leave like a Japan existing thirteen, yeah. but one year after the Christianist was banned in Japan. Yes. So in the moment when Tsunagawa arrived to Europe, like a, the like a, the news of like a, the the banned was already like a, arrived before. <laughs> so like a, the king of Spain and also the Pope refused to have like a contact with Tsunagawa. Yeah, it's really unfortunate. Yeah, it was a kind of sad for this man arrived yeah. to Europe and understand like a, no, we are not have trust with you, sorry. Like, take care, take care in the way back. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and in fact, it is funny the part that he was baptized when he arrived to Spain. How his like a Christian name is Felipe Francisco Hasekawa. Oh, really? Yes. <laughs> oh, that's nice. <laughs> so, yeah, basically, after the Battle of Sekigahara, he is given all these properties, including Sendai. Yep. <laughs> So this is the point where he really takes control of Tohoku. Because at this point, he is indisputably the most powerful daimyo in the north. Yeah, northeast. in the north. Northeast. Yeah. <laughs> well, no, in the northwest is nothing. <laughs> nothing else. Yeah, I mean, uh, they haven't made it to Hokkaido yet. There is no north yet. <laughs> oh, and also, like, all the area of Yamagata mm. it was, like, a not very, like, a too much developed. Tell that to the Mogami clan. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, so he founded Sendai and 
Yeah, he invested a lot in arts and culture. Like we mentioned before, he built some temples in Matsushima. Mm -hmm. And, you know, he sent this expedition to Europe, even though it was kind of a failure. Well, but I mean, like, uh, he always was like a a patron of the arts and culture in the north. So... Yeah, so he completely made Tohoku prosper. Yes, definitely. Yeah. And despite... And, and well, and also the construction of the castle. Well, yes. Was just the pinnacle of like a, all of this development of yes. the region. And you can visit the castle, sort of. Yes, <laughs> the remains. You can go to the place where the castle was. The walls are still there. And they've... They've actually etched the blueprints of the castle on the ground so you can kind of walk in the rooms and pretend (laughs) and just like a picture in your mind how we will like but of course the real jewel of visiting the castle is getting to see the statue of Date Masamune yes and and also the views and the view of course the view is amazing because it is in the top of the hill like many castles so you have like a perfect view all of the region in fact if the day is clear you can also even see the sea and the funny thing about the statue, or any statue of Date Masamune, is he always has both of his eyes. And this is because Date Masamune was always... It was always something that bothered him. I don't know if it was vanity or just, you know, the childhood trauma of losing your eye. But it was in his will that after he dies, all depictions of him show him with both eyes. Except for one. Yeah. And that is the statue that his wife commissioned for him when he died. Because she wanted to preserve his true ethics. (laughs) I think that is more because as like a military leader and daimyo, Mm -hmm. want to show like an image of like a strength. So probably he don't want to become like a, like a seems weak to, to the rest of the people. I suppose so, but I, I think it's, it is a little vain. <laughs> yeah, probably it's a little now, bit also. that also being said, the mascot of Miyagi, I mean, I should probably mention, in Japan, they have mascots for literally everything. Yeah, every town, every yeah. company, everything has yeah. their own mascot. <laughs> but the mascot of, of Miyagi is an onigiri, a race ball, that is wearing Date Masamune's armor. <laughs> yeah, because everything like half like a the Date flavor, so half of like the half moon of the mo- of the symbol or half eight pads. So basically, like the mascot is like the rice ball with a half moon and an eight pad. Musubi Maru. Ooh. <laughs> <laughs> and it's super cute. <laughs> yeah, but it has the eye patch. And, well, sometimes. I've actually found some pictures without the eye patch. But a lot of the cartoon images of Date Masamune have the eye patch. Yeah. And the Japanese people, they feel like as long as it's a cartoon representation, it's okay to show the eye patch. But if it's a serious, like, thing, that they should have both eyes. I think that in that statue, they try to recreate, like, a ancient statues. Mm-hmm. So they follow the old ways. But the thing nowadays is not a deal or a taboo, like yeah. I put the iPads and like a... I don't 
know. I mean, they still do have a lot of respect for the man, obviously. Oh, yeah. I mean, it, it is forever, like, the yeah. hero and the patron yeah. of Sendai. And although they haven't been able to rebuild the castle yet, one of the biggest projects... Uh, in Sendai after World War II was rebuilding the Zuihoden, which is the mausoleum where Date Masamune yeah. and his son? Probably the first son. And another son? Anyway, there's three mausoleums. And then, you know, it's actually kind of funny because it's basically all the descendants of the Date clan, all the leaders. And with every generation, the mausoleum gets smaller and smaller. And then it's just gravestones. And it's kind of depressing because you can see how the Date clan just sort of dwindled after Masamune departed. Yeah. But anyway, the, the mausoleums were lost in World War II. They burned yeah, down in a fire. Time. And then in the 70s and 80s, they did this big archaeology dig and they found Date Masamune and then they rebuilt the mm -hmm. mausoleums using like the original materials. They're... They're absolutely amazing. Oh yeah, I mean, like a, a like the Japanese reconstruction, like a, they are, they're incredible. Yeah, so you know the whole town, it's still really big on Tate Masamune. Oh yes, <laughs> and always will be. Oh for sure, because he's the man. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, there is still a descendant of Tate Masamune. Alive. Oh yeah, it is. Yeah, he well he lives in Tokyo now. I know. Mm, well, the one that lived in Tokyo was the descendant of like. Um, of Tokugawa. Oh, okay. That is still be. Well, the point is, the Date clan still does exist in, in some form. The direct descendant yeah, the is out there. Spiritual, like, <laughs> <Eyo. laughs> it still exists. <laughs> and uh, in fact, it exists like the webpage of the Date clan. No. But, but it's only in Japanese. Oh, of course. <laughs> um, if you are interested in Date Masamune, I have to recommend that everybody watch the One-Eyed Dragon. Yes. Uh, which is a TV show starring Ken Watanabe as Date Masamune. Young Ken Watanabe. Yes, it, w it came out in 1987. <laughs> it's a little difficult to find with English subtitles, but it is out there. And it is so detailed. <laughs> like When yes. I say there's 50 episodes, like... <laughs> they talk about everything from like his childhood to his teenage years and on and on. So if if you want to know more about him, I would say that's probably the easiest way for English speakers to do it. Because I haven't found any English translations of the histories of Date Masamune. No, in addition, you can see like a completely detailed like his history from the beginning until the end. So Yeah, so just watch the TV show. It's awesome. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, so this is going to be the last episode of Historical Fantasy for the year mm -hmm. and for the foreseeable future. Um, well, we would say that we'll make a, like, a little break and probably yeah. in some future we'll continue it. Yeah, basically we're in the process of some life changes including moving and our schedules are changing. So until we figure out how to fit this back into our schedules, we're going to be on a bit of a hiatus. So check back with us in January. Definitely by February we should have something up. Yeah, I think so. In the meantime, you can watch all of The One-Eyed Dragon. <laughs> <laughs> you have a lot of things to do. Yeah, just watch an episode a day. And by the time you're finished, we'll probably have some more episodes up here. Yeah. <laughs> 
So I guess have a Merry Christmas and a Happy Hanukkah and a cool Kwanzaa and a Happy New Year and uh, Happy Holidays, guys. We'll see you next year. <laughs> you don't question why you're running through a forest bamboo. You don't give yourself time to think. You run, you scream, you cry. You run and run and run, and you hope the man chasing you with a bow and arrow doesn't kill you. Lita and the Samurai is a tale of a modern girl in ancient Japan. Only available on Chanillo.com. That's C-H-A-N-N-I-L-L-O.com. Lita, a young woman who moved to Japan to escape her abusive family, is slowly adjusting to her new life. She's learning Japanese, making friends, and enjoying the summer festivals. On the day of the famous Tanabata festival, she finds a small shrine. But when she steps out of the shrine, she steps into Edo-era Japan. Trapped 400 years in Japan's past, what follows is half fantasy, half historical fiction. Is her coming here an accident? Or does it have something to do with the sudden appearance of European ships off the coast? Lita must discover how she ended up in this situation and how she can get back home, or if she even wants to go back. Lita and the Samurai updates bi-weekly on Mondays. You can read the first chapter for free on Chanillo.com. Once again, that's C-H-A-N-N-I-L-L-O.com. We were the first, and we will be the last. From Morgan James Fiction comes the exciting new historical fantasy Orope, the White Snake, by Guinevere Lee. The whispers of the gods have seen the vision, the gods destroying the world in a flood because the old ways have been corrupted and forgotten. Three are chosen, Tersh, Kareth, and Shadi, to go out and warn the world. The gods must be appeased. In Orope, the White Snake, Tersh must leave her children and travel to Matawe, the kingdom in the mountains. She also must care for Kareth, and keep him out of trouble. Kareth, told since birth that he is destined for greatness, has been expecting this moment. Certain that he is ready, he quickly discovers that his confidence and curiosity have a tendency to lead him into dangerous situations. Shadi finds himself traveling alone to find the people of the jungle, the Petsahalpa. The jungle seems like a paradise until he discovers the darker rituals practiced within. Samaki is a merchant who returns to Mahat to find his home destroyed, his father dead, and no one to buy his expensive cargo. With his first mate, Tuhark, the merchant struggles to move forward after his entire world has been upended. The stories of these four travelers intersect and entwine with each other as they move towards their destinations. Guided by visions, the whispers must use their wits to survive in these strange new lands that would rather use them as political pawns than listen to their warnings. Available in paperback, digital, and audio wherever books are sold. To learn more about Guinevere Lee and her writing, visit GuinevereLee.com. G-U-E-N-E-V-E-R-E-L-E-E.com. And thank you for listening. Music provided by Bensound.com.